Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out Hot Mess House on HGTV, The Woods on Netflix, Taste the Nation on Hulu, and The Babysitter's Club on Netflix. So stay tuned to the end to find out if BJ floats like a butterfly or organizes like a bee. I think I'm a cricket. I would say so as well. Anyway, let's dive a little deeper into what we're talking about with these organization styles in the new series, Hot Mess House on HGTV. This show is led by organizing expert Kaz Aronson, and she is helping her clients who are overwhelmed with their messy spaces. And she's able to identify their distinct organizing styles which she calls clutterbugs. So you have bees, ladybugs, crickets, and butterflies. And because of the time we're in right now, she's actually helping her clients using video calls and online conferencing services and sending them all the organization materials they'll need. What'd you think of this series? So what I liked about the series is that it feels very relevant to the moment. She helps these people over Zoom, the two families, Brandy and Tim, with their basement that is overrun with stuff that they want to make into a work, workout, and crafting space. And then Travis and Stephanie, who newly moved in together, and they just have a ton of stuff to reconcile in their home. And in this moment of physical distancing where we're spending, those of us who are privileged to work from home, a lot more time at home, you do get that bug of, what if I move this over there? What if I organize this over here? And it's cool to have this guide of her helping them through it because there's nothing special that she does. She just teaches them how to prioritize and then organize their things. Yeah, and I think that that is a nice change for HGTV because you see a lot of their renovation shows that require these outrageous budgets that some of these families couldn't even do without the production team coming in. And you need all of these experts and talented people who are electricians and plumbers and carpenters. But here, Kaz is giving very realistic, relatable, and understandable tips and techniques that I feel like we could start applying to our own homes today. She genuinely Amazon Primes them some Target organizing bins for the closet. I have the same ones in the same color in my closet. She also mails Brandy and Tim that crafting closet that was really expansive. I absolutely underestimated the range of craft materials and what you would want to do with them. And so you're right, Beach. it was cool that truly through the power of Zoom, Amazon Prime, and then sweat equity from the people themselves, they completely transformed their homes. Yeah, they just needed a little guidance. And along with that guidance, she helped everyone identify their organizing style What did you think of that whole structure of defining people as bees who are very detail-oriented and like seeing things versus ladybugs who like visual simplicity and kind of want to hide away the clutter? So I need you to describe the cricket and the butterfly as well. And I think why you're not doing that is because the bees and the butterflies seem very, very similar. And crickets and ladybugs also seem somewhat similar. I would say you could maybe distinguish it down to cricket, ladybug, and butterfly. 
But there's four styles, so... Which one do you think you are? Probably the cricket. I like detailed organizing, but I like to put everything away. So I'm a person who has everything in a drawer or behind a door, but I know everything that's there. I just don't want to see it. What style are you? What clutter bug do you identify with? I would say I'm a ladybug or a cricket. I like clean... Probably a ladybug. You just don't want to be the same (laughs) bug as me, and that's fine, because crickets are dope. We can make music with our feet. Ladybugs can't do that. So guess what, BJ? That's embarrassing for you. I'm going to be over here with my clean surfaces and things stored away with music making with my feet. And I I just mixed it up because I said, I'm the cricket (laughs) and you're the ladybug. (laughs) And you know what else? Ladybugs are seen as good luck. So while you're over there making riffraff music and just noise with your feet, ladybugs, people are feeling blessed to have us land on them. They don't care what we do. They're just excited we're there. We're the royalty of the insect kingdom. And that's embarrassing for you. We come naturally patterned. You don't have no pattern. And I'm sorry for you. Ladybug out. So before we wrap, which transformation impressed you more? I mean, I have to say Brandy and Tim, just because they had a bigger space. Mm, Yeah. Travis and Stephanie were reorganizing two closets, but we got to see Brandy and Tim's entire basement. And I think what was cool about that is, one, it started out very cluttered, like there is stuff everywhere. And now they have three very distinct spaces. And I think that's really cool. It was a nice transformation visually and functionally. I loved that as well. I was a little more taken, perhaps it's because I moved in with my partner a few years ago, and I know that struggle of trying to cram your things in a one-bedroom apartment, but I really loved the innovation that she had with that deep walk-in closet that they had. Instead of stacking boxes that's difficult to get to everything, she instead had those rolling racks you could pull in and pull out that had their stuff organized on them. So you can have that depth of closet, take advantage of all of the space, but it's not difficult to get to anything because you can roll out the pieces that you don't need. I thought that was really cool. Very clever. She thought well about how to utilize the square footage they had, especially in New York. If they keep doing a variety of homes like that, I could see it as helpful for tons of people. For me in an apartment, I took a lot from what she shared with Stephanie and Travis. Yeah, I'm glad you needed those tips. BJ, don't do that. I'm very Marie Kondo over here. I've been very minimalist. I don't keep a lot of stuff. So me too. What would you rate Hot Mess House on HGTV? I would watch again casually. This is a perfect Saturday or Sunday afternoon show. It sits right in that great genre of HGTV where you come away with helpful information and you get to check out other people's houses, which I love to do. I feel similarly. I would rate this would watch again casually as someone who is reorganizing my apartment to make a proper work at home space. I think I can learn a lot of good tips from watching this show. Well, we're going to go from a hot mess in the home sense and travel to the woods for a hot mess in the life sense. Ooh, are you talking about Netflix's new Polish original series, The Woods? Why, yes, I am. So The Woods is, as you said, Beach, a Polish miniseries adaptation of a Harlan Coben novel that actually spans 25 years. This show centers around Pavel, played by Grzegorz Demiki, in present day, and his teen self played by Hubert Melkowski, where his mom got him a job at a summer camp. 
we flash between past and present, meeting his camp crush and present-day friend Lara, played by Victoria Floss, his rambunctious friend Arthur, played by Adam Wichrinski, and his beloved sister Camila, played by Martina Bizkowska. I apologize to every single Polish actor whose name I butchered, but we plow forward. The mystery that is introduced is present-day prosecutor Pavel, now a widower, has reason to believe that his sister who disappeared in the woods in 1994 may not actually be dead. Beach, how did you feel about it? So I thought this was a really intriguing mystery series. Like it was kind of edgy, drama-filled. They had the teen angst in 1994. And then the more serious, giving me actual procedural cop show vibes in 2019. And I kind of like that more and more shows are doing this flash forward, flashback concept to help us go through a mystery. What were your first impressions? I liked the mystery as well. I was intrigued enough by the mysterious circumstances of four people essentially disappearing and meeting different fates in the woods at that summer camp in 1994. And I'm intrigued by potentially this mystery opening back up in present day and leaving open ended whether or not his sister is alive all these years later. But I didn't like the flashing back and forth because I found it to be a little disorienting. And I hope that they get away from it a bit in future episodes. Perhaps they were just using it now to establish the mystery. But I hope that we don't keep flashing back and forth like that in future episodes because it just was dizzying for me. I can see that. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun to kind of dive really into the summer camp part of Pavel's life. But I also recognize that it might have been more beneficial to focus more on present day and then just use the flashbacks to tease parts of the mystery. Another mystery that helped establish who Pavel is today is whether or not his mom abandoned him at camp. It seems like he's very affected by that now. So there were stories that were introduced in 94 that we had to watch play out. Then we see the consequences of in present day. So that was cool. But I just didn't like the back and forth. Yeah, they did make it very well connected, like you said. So let's dive a little bit more into the mystery. The whole idea is back in 1994, when Pavel was working as a camp counselor, at one point, four kids walk into the woods. And let's just say, listeners, during this episode, these woods are very sketchy. Yes. But the kids love roaming around, even though there's like a gate with barbed wire protecting them from leaving the camp. But I guess if you go out in the camp, like these four kids do, you might turn up missing. And the other thing is only two bodies were found. So what do you think happened? Okay, so there was a camp counselor that was sort of sketchy to me. Mm -hmm. And I won't give away which one, but I got a weird vibe from him. And I wonder if he has something to do with this. Ooh, so you think it was a kid who did it, not some like adult or outside character. He looked older than the other kids. Yes, the counselors are older than the campers, but still not like full-grown adult. Not like a 35-year-old. Yeah. That's true. So it could have been an inside job. I also wonder if his mom, quote-unquote, abandoning him has something to do with the mystery. Oh, so she did like a hit-and-run, murdered a couple kids, and peaced out. 
I don't think she would have <laughs> murdered a couple of kids because one of them was hers that went missing because his sister is missing. But oh. that's true. You never know with camping. It brings a lot out of people. That's why I don't do it. And she's the camp doctor, Pavel's mom. So she would know how to, you know, kill someone effectively. So what do you think happened? I'm going to be the more positive person. And I'm going to say that these kids were trying to run away. They just didn't like being oppressed by their parents and their restrictions. And maybe someone as simple as tripping into a ditch or something. There was some sort of accident. And this was all very unintentional. Hmm. I do love when mystery stories end with that because it is the most helpless thing. You just couldn't help this tragedy. And it's not always planned and cooked out. And that actually helps explain human behavior more, which is why those helpless accidents are more heavy when you watch them. So are you going to stick with this six-part miniseries to find out what happened? I would say I'm interested in the story and my rating depends on your rating. Would you watch more episodes? Of course. Gotta put all the work on me. I do plan to watch this casually. Okay. So listeners, BJ is going to opt in to start a newsletter where he lets us know what happens in the woods. You can email askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com for information because I don't know that I am rushing to the next episode because I didn't like the flashback and flash forward. But I do want to know what happens to his sister. I want to know what happened to his camp counselor friends. I want to know why Laura, who was his very big crush when he was a kid, is just his friend now. And if there's anything building there. So I want to know what happens. I just don't want to put the time in. Y'all, these are 55-minute episodes. So, Beach, you can tell me whether it's worth it to keep watching or if you can just give the spoilers away if you don't think it's worth it to keep watching for me and the rest of our listeners. That's a great idea. I'm going to start a subscription newsletter where I really just write. Okay, calm down on subscription. Spoiler-filled recaps for this series. And if you or me too are willing to pay the fee, then I will provide you that service of watching the show for you. We've been friends for 10 years and you would charge me? Look at the discount code. You know what though? That's a good lesson. Y'all, if your friends have businesses, pay full price. Support your friends' businesses fully. I'll take back the coupon code then. (laughs) (laughs) Can't even get a coupon code. Speaking of lessons, we got many from Padma Lakshmi in Taste the Nation. Beach, do you want to let us know what happened in that? Sure. So this is a new series on Hulu. It's hosted and executive produced by Padma Lakshmi, cookbook author, TV host, we all know her from Top Chef, and she is taking us, the audience, across America, and she wants to introduce us to diverse food cultures. So she's looking at immigrant groups, and she's really trying to answer the question of who are the people and what foods have heavily shaped American food, because all of the foods we eat have varying backgrounds that I would say most of us aren't fully aware of. So in this series, she's breaking bread with Americans across these different nations, going into their indigenous communities 
and uncovering the roots and relationships between food, people, history, and being American. What were your first impressions? I do think it's interesting that she uses food to start conversations. You and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. It isn't at all a traditional food show. We're not exclusively watching her taste things. We're not exclusively learning recipes. She has a clear message that she is working to convey and using food as the vessel for that message. Yeah, it definitely feels more like a documentary where food is just kind of what's leading her to different people. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the debate over Nanette, which was Hannah Gadsby's show, where it felt like a one-person show and launched that debate (laughs) across culture nerds of whether it was a stand-up comedy act or not, because it didn't include the traditional elements of stand-up comedy, even though it was funny. And it was a single person behind a mic performing jokes and stories to a crowd. And I would argue this is similar in that she's going to different restaurants, she's shoving delicious looking food in her mouth, she's talking to the people about the food, but I don't know that it's exactly, like we said, a traditional food show. Exactly. The point isn't to teach us how to make the food. And I don't even really think it's about teaching us where to find the food, but she does give shout outs to different restaurants and chefs. It's more about the stories behind the food. And the stories that she focuses on in this first episode are in El Paso, Texas. And you can't talk about El Paso without mentioning its sister city, Juarez, Mexico. And so she goes to El Paso to explore the burrito. The shared understood story is that burritos started from a burro or donkey driven food truck. And then the food developed from there. And it is interesting that the main point of this episode is the concept of fusion, fusion of cultures, fusion of identities, and honestly, tertiary to those things, fusion of food. And she talks to chefs who are strict traditionalists. So one chef, which I had never thought about it this way, said that burritos were our tradition, our, when he's speaking for himself, of course, wrapped in colonialism because flour is not a native food and was brought over by the Spaniards and the other Western Europeans. Another chef that she spoke to was more open to or more interested in using fusion as a way to blend culture because he said he could have just as easily been born in El Paso as in Juarez. And then the last person she spoke to who fascinated me was this older person who looked white. His family immigrated from Syria If you saw him, you would think Southern white man, and he's a very ardent Trump supporter, but he was against the border wall and against the fact that his staff had to go through such hurdles to come back and forth from his restaurant to work. Yeah, two hours each way. Wild. And it's probably a short distance. Oh, for sure. But like his daughter said, without them, there probably wouldn't be a restaurant. Yes. So she was very anti-wall. Yeah. For her own reasons. Yes, for very (laughs) business-driven reasons that family was anti-wall. How do you feel about this whole idea of using diversity of food and the culture behind that, not only for Padma to to have conversations with us as the viewers, but also in society to kind of open up the door, break bread, and then talk about these difficult subjects? Can food do that? I, I think it's complicated. I love this show. 
not to give away my rating, because I do think that food is the great connector. It is across cultures. It is the thing that you do when you sit around with your family, you have food, you talk about your day, you talk about school, you connect with each other, and it can help you connect with other people. There have been organizations popping up since forever of dinner clubs and supper clubs and places where people connect and can talk about bigger issues. Do I think, though, that if someone if someone's values are fundamentally different from my own, including the belief in the value of my own existence is up for debate, that no, I don't think if I make that person like a really delicious East African dish, they'll be like, you know what, you're okay. Or they could say you're okay, which is the disconnect that we saw in the third guy. His workers were okay, but he was comfortable with everything else, right? Yeah. So I think that there are limitations. It's like you specifically, not you, your people. Exactly. So I think there are limitations there. But I do love the idea of food being the foot in the door to sort of open up larger, much needed conversations. There is a reason we call it breaking bread. Yeah, I agree that I don't think food can solve these issues. I think it's more kind of even less than what you're saying it's knocking on the door rather than even putting your foot in the door (laughs) you're actually absolutely right i think it's a good way to learn about other people because food is such a universal thing that that is a way to just get people to recognize other cultures i mean even i learned a lot from this episode i was actually more interested in the food portion than the message i'll be honest But I liked learning about these traditional Mexican dishes where they were making the corn tortillas and using this nixtamalization process. That was so cool. Also looks like a lot of work, but it looked amazing in the end. Yes. (laughs) And so I think there is value where I'm probably subconsciously gaining a lot more respect and appreciation for Mexican culture that I wasn't even aware of thanks to this show. True. So do you want to watch more episodes of Taste the Nation? I might watch some episodes while doing laundry. I think Padma is a good host. And like I said, I like learning about the foods. But honestly, I don't think this is a food cooking show. And because of that, it doesn't really hit my interests. How do you feel? I would watch more episodes. I love any food show, even though this isn't quite a food show. I love me some Padma Lakshmi. I love me some tasty looking dishes. And... I am excited to see her celebrate different cultures across the country. Awesome. So, me too. I have a question for you. Yes. Have you ever been a babysitter? Yes. I used to babysit my neighbors. My neighbor's kids. You could have babysat your neighbors. I don't know. So, maybe you can tell us a bit about your babysitting experience as we discuss The Babysitter's Club on Netflix. In The Babysitter's Club, founder, president, icon, Christy, played by Sophie Grace, learns how much money is in the babysitting game and invites her friends to join her in a neighborhood collective. Rounding out the babysitting crew is Marianne, played by Malia Baker, Claudia, played by Mamona Tamada, and Stacy, played by Shay Rudolph. Their first assignment comes from Christie's mom, Elizabeth, played by iconic Alicia Silverstone's partner, Watson, played by Mark Feuerstein. Watson wants Christy and her crew to watch his kids as he works in the afternoon on a Saturday. It happens. Yeah, like I'm saying that like I didn't work this morning before you and I started recording. So me too, as an avid fan of the book series, how do you feel about this adaptation? Y'all, again, I am queen of revealing my cards before the ratings, but 
Babysitter's Club Hive. We're here. Our show is here. It is a lovely adaptation of the novels. It modernizes them. So it feels very current, yet it taps into all that nostalgia. I love that they bought a landline to get the orders in so that they protect each of their cell phones because they could have just done a Google voice number. But no, they bought a landline and it just brought me right back to reading Babysitter's Club books in my room. Interesting, interesting. So the best way to dive into this adaptation is to look at our lead character, Christy, our founder and president of the Babysitter's Club. How did you feel about her? She is herself. That she is. It's good that people are comfortable voicing their opinions. And, um, you know, she'll learn when to do that as she grows older. She is just a seventh grader. How did you feel about her attitude, her personality quirks, and how the people around her react to her? Well, you said attitude before personality quirks, and I agree with attitude. She is annoying. She is <laughs> bossy. And she gets called in by her mom, by her friends to check her controlling nature toward her loved ones. And I like that this show recognizes that Christy is a lot, but they let her just be a person who is a lot versus gendering it. So you see her teacher also call her out for pointing out some language, some sexist language issues in her class. Mm -hmm. And instead of engaging her or talking her through them, he assigns her writing an essay on decorum. That's sexism. That is an incredibly sexist response to a young woman pointing something out to you that she doesn't agree with. You don't engage her and instead you want her to be quiet and keep to herself. And I like that the show pointed out that Christy is a victim of sexism and that will be a tough thing that she has to navigate, especially because of her personality, but also recognizes that she needs to improve in how controlling and bossy she is. She's allowed to be a jerk and she's allowed to live in a sexist society. Both of these things can exist. Exactly. She's been called out inappropriately and appropriately. Very rightfully. So how about we head over to her best friend, Marianne, who is quite quiet, but has a lot of opinions that just get steamrolled. Yeah, steamrolled around Christy. I love that Marianne has the Babysitter's Club and now she has a position of leadership because it seems like the dynamic between her and Christy is that Christy often speaks over her, dictates how things will go, and you see Marianne pipe up as soon as she has this club and she declares, I want to be secretary and this is what I want to do with my role. And she spoke for like 50 seconds and the other girls were surprised because they said that that was the most that they had heard her speak. Yeah, it was great to see her excited about something and letting people know what she was excited about. And we also see later on, she has like a potential love interest. Mm-hmm. That was fun. I also loved the other girls. Let's talk about Claudia, an artist, an icon. Too cool for school, too cool for everyone. And also, she was very open and honest about kind of walking away from her friendship with Christy because of Christy's attitude and going for some new cool friends. That was so cool to see, not to use cool a thousand times. But I love that when Christy started showing how controlling she was to the crew, because she doesn't like Watson for her mom. And so she didn't want to take his assignment of watching his kids. And they were like, no, no, you're not going to turn down money. And she got buck on them. 
And I love that Claudia said, this behavior is why I had to take a step back from our friendship and why we're not as close as we used to be. It is so cool to see young people empowered to speak to each other openly and honestly like that. That feels very new. Gen Z, very good at talking things out. We're better than the generation before us, but Gen Z is way better than us. They are very open and in tune with themselves. And this will give Christy a chance to decide, does she want to work on her attitude or is she just going to stay who she is? Exactly. I loved that. And then how do you feel about Stacy, our Manhattanite? Ooh, the mysterious new girl. She's not eating. Is she from New York, the city which Marianne was so excited about? Yes, they're from an affluent neighborhood in Stony Brook. So I'm surprised by how impressed Marianne was with Stacy being from Manhattan. Marianne clearly doesn't get out much. Her dad is very strict. She was surprised yeah. that they were allowed to have sugar yeah. at their sleepover. But I think Stacy is cool. She's very nice. She's very savvy about social media and she's good at math. I think it's always good to show girls good at math because there's a whole lot of problems about just the STEM fields not being very diverse and it starts in middle school or even earlier. So do you want to meet up with the girls some more? Are you interested in watching more episodes of Netflix's Babysitter's Club? Am I interested in middle school girls? No. No, like hang out with the gals. Also, no. <laughs> Okay, do you want to watch more episodes of this television show? You are at home. They are in the screen. They are fictional characters. Still no. (laughs) (laughs) I think this was well done. I will say, listeners, of the four shows we reviewed this week, this was the show that went by the fastest in a good way. The pacing was good. The story kept going. The characters are fun. But do I want to watch a story about middle school girls starting a babysitting business? Yes. Not really. How do you feel? I'm going to watch more episodes. Seriously, again, Babysitter's Club Hive, let's unite. Please feel free to send us emails at askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. We can do like a Babysitter's Club club email tree where we just send each other thoughts and feelings. Let me know what y'all think. I'm very excited to watch more episodes. It's a very good adaptation. You would know. You're the expert. Thank you. So if you want to find more of our reviews, head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com. And if you want more in-depth reviews, consider subscribing to The Pilot Podcast Deep Dive, where we take a deep dive into the pilot episode of a single TV show. And you can find out more by going to join.thepilotpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions, sign up for BJ's The Woods recaps, Join the Babysitter's Club club at askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.